How big is the big blue tent, and why can't Ontario Conservatives fit in it anymore? I'm at hand on the Unpublished Cafe. Ontario is heading to the polls on June 7th to decide who will run the province for the next four years. The latest polls had the Ontario PCs ahead of the governing Liberals, but the party is currently in the midst of a fractious leadership debate brought on by the accusations against leader Patrick Brown. Nothing has been proven in court. He has denied any wrongdoing, suggesting his accusers file criminal charges. He jumped back into the leadership race and then back out again. North Bay Area MPP Vic Fidelli has been appointed interim leader and has said publicly there is rot in the party. Skullduggery around some contested nomination battles, questions about the number of signed-up members, and improper spending has been revolving around the party, which doesn't put it in a favorable light heading into the election. It appears Brown's leadership and tactics have worn thin on some supporters who have branched out to start new parties. Today on the Unpublished Cafe podcast, we take a look at the state of conservatism in Ontario and where it could lead. Coming up, I'll be joined by three such people to talk about why they've left, who they're attracting, and whether it will have an impact on the upcoming election. As well, I'll be talking with former Ontario PC MPP Janet Ecker, who was on the front benches in the Mike Harris and Ernie Eves governments. But first, we get an overview of where the conservative movement is heading in Ontario. I'm pleased to be joined by Nelson Wiseman, Professor of Political Science, as well as the Director of Canadian Studies at the University of Toronto.
I want to thank Nelson Wiseman for sharing his perspective on the current conservative climate in Ontario. It's been almost 20 years since the Ontario PCs won an election. A time in the political wilderness has been gnawing on the nerves of the big blue machine. With so much swirling around the caucus and executive, not to mention the disgruntled supporters, it has the party focused on internal squabbles and not the end game, winning the next provincial election. To get some perspective from the PCs, I'm pleased to be joined by former MPP Janet Ecker, who held several portfolios in the Harrison Eves government, including finance minister, making her the first woman to table a budget at Queen's Park, where she joins me from. Janet, the Ontario PC party of today appears to be much different than the one that you ran for with Mike Harris and Ernie Eves. From your perception, what's changed? Well, I think being out of power for over a decade does have an impact on uh, a party. Um, there is a, such a thing as a uh, called a discipline of power, um, and that does make an, you know that can make uh, um, quite a difference on the, the makeup of your party. But I think uh, you know, and how your party reforms and, and how it acts as a coherent whole. Because again, it's always easier to stay united when you can um, fall behind a um, fall behind the government, right? If your power's in, in power, or your, your party's in power, sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, so that makes quite a difference. But I think the other thing I remember about uh, the Progressive Conservative Party in Ontario is it's always been a mix of people who are red Tory, blue Tory, and everything in between. So it's always been that kind of big tent. I can remember in the Bill Davis government, uh, you know, in the same cabinet, we had a physician by the name of Dr. Robert Elgie, who probably could have been more comfortable in the NDP party, and yet we also had a very good minister, by the way, and we also had another strong minister, Gordon Walker, who probably would have been quite comfortable in the Reform Party. So all in the same cabinet uh, under Davis, all working together. And under, in the Mike Harris government, again, we had people in the cabinet who represented that sort of broad range of uh, conservatism. Um, so I think the party, um, to varying degrees of success, has been able to bridge uh, sort of the left and the right of conservatism. And when we get it right, the party frequently uh, can win. And when we don't, we lose. So. Yeah. What was the PC party uh, as divided in 1995 as as it is today, or or even when you you talked about the Bill Davis uh, time with some of those uh, some of those uh, cabinet members who probably well, would have sat another party? We didn't have the internal. Um, I, I think you could say the recent two months, three months is has been pretty unique. Um, there have been times where there's been internal frictions, internal tensions, um, you know, there always was, after leadership, uh, you know, and when uh, Premier Davis won, there was a, a split between the, the wise people before, you know, who had been, the Alamore, I think it was, um, you know, who'd been uh, almost beat Davis, Davis was supposed to be the front runner, and he almost lost, um, and then with, with Mike Harris, you know, too, you had people who, again, there was, you know, post-leadership tension. That's normal, and one of the things that's really important is how a leader fixes that. And, you know, you would hear, for example, in the CP leadership race now, um, you know, one of the issues uh, that the people, you know, the, the voters, the party voters are asking about is um, who can unite the party after this? Who can pull us all together? And I think the candidate that's able to uh, to reflect that, to be able to do that, um Stands a good chance of winning because I think most members of the party, at least experienced members of the party, um, recognize that you need unity to succeed. Janet Ecker is. We've certainly certainly gone through a unique period, I would say. Right. Yeah. Janet Ecker is uh, joining us uh, on the podcast, uh, former MPP with the Mike Harris and the Ernie Eves government. And, uh, you know, when, when you look at the situation, a lot, obviously it seems a lot of politics, you know, there's a lot of the to and fro with the leadership and such, but where's the party executive fall into this? Because it seems a lot of, a lot of fingers are being pointed in that direction. Yeah. Number um, two, one of the things that people forget that a political party is mostly volunteers. 
you do have a core group of staff at party headquarters. It's always, when you're in opposition, it's always a smaller group than if you were in government. Um, and um, uh, so the executives are elected volunteers. And so I think when sometimes when things maybe go wrong or whatever, um, it's not surprising when it's a volunteer group that, that's trying to, uh, to do that. They've all got gay jobs, right? So uh, that can sometimes make it a challenge. So there'll be questions. I think a new leader, what will be interesting is I said, once we have a new leader, they'll be strong again. And if that uh, leader gets off to a good start and the party is doing well, I suspect you're going to see the angst over a lot of these procedures uh, drift away. I think it will be just not as important because uh, right now it's focusing everybody's attention and I think that will go away. Okay. All right. Now, in, in, uh, in terms of leadership race and, you know, we don't know who obviously is going to come out of this. You know, let's face it, there's been, uh, you know, some harsh words said in all directions. How do you, how do you smooth the waters with the, the other three who don't win? Well, that is a critical skill set for a new leader. Absolutely critical skill set. And, um, uh, we'll see. I mean, it tends to win, but that should be their number one priority. And I know myself, having been involved in leadership races before, Usually, one of the first things that usually starts right after the right after the vote is announced, and the winner should uh, should have the cell phone numbers of uh, the other people, uh, the other candidates, and there should be a call goes out right away saying, "Let's meet, let's talk, want you to be part of the party, part of the team, that kind of thing." And usually, meetings happen fairly quickly, and that's what you want to see because that's how you start building. Um, building a new team, a new coalition. Because every party, when they choose a new leader, it is a new coalition, um, you know, with, with uh, a new leader's interests, a new leader's team, a new leader's, you know, friends and you know, people in the caucus who are closer to them than other people, etc. So that'll be critical, and I hope, uh, one, I hope the voters are thinking about who has the best skill set to do that, and secondly, whoever it is that wins, I hope they take um, uh, take the time right after the vote to make sure they're reaching out to the other the other party, the other groups uh, within the party, because there's not a lot of time. I mean, this is sort of like speed dating. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> no one's ever done change the leader uh, in as short a time period as the party is having to do that. So. Now, in terms of uh, the executive, uh, we mentioned there are a lot of them are volunteers, but you know, the, you know, let's, the, the, the big boogeyman at the end of the report here is the, the election coming up, the Liberals and, and Kathleen. What suggestions do you have for the executive to sort of get everything back on the track and, and ready to fight for the next provincial election? Well, I think first of all, um, a new leader. The other thing a new leader will do is put together a campaign team. So there, it won't be just the executive left on their own. There'll also be um, a campaign team that a new leader will be putting into place. So that'll make, I think, that'll make quite a difference as well. Mm-hmm. So uh, to help the executive, because, and again, at this stage of the game, it becomes largely the campaign team, not the executive as much. It is more of a responsibility of a campaign team. What's your perspective on some of these splinter groups that have, you know, they feel disillusioned with the Ontario PCs, you know, and that they've moved on to something else or they're starting something else? Well, what's your message to them? Um, I guess, you know, listen, people feel strongly about a lot of issues. Uh, most conservatives I know have very strong opinions on many issues. And so, yeah, I guess the party is not meeting your needs. Um, you know, I mean, uh, don't, as they say, Free, free and open country, as they say. Um, but I would hope, I would hope, if it would give a new leader a chance um, that they would uh, listen to what he or she will be putting out as their platform, looking at who the team will be that the new leader will be putting in place. And I, I really hope they give, give the party a chance and see. The other thing, again, I, uh, when a party wins, 
uh, you know, becomes a government. Again, a lot of the disgruntled um, groups in, within a party do tend to be a little less disgruntled. Uh, not always, not always. Uh, and a good party leader has to pay attention to uh, has to pay attention to that. Even when you know, it was interesting, I just my husband and I just on the weekend were seeing a a BBC production of Margaret Thatcher um, and the fall of Margaret Thatcher and how her caucus and cabinet, you know, basically it was a palace coup, if I can call it that. And there's somebody who had had uh, a highly successful premier, uh, sorry, prime minister of Britain for many, many, many years, but lost touch with the grassroots of her party, lost touch with her caucus and her cabinet, and ended up paying the price for that. So, it's always easier to run a party uh, when you're in government, when you're in power, but uh, even winning doesn't relieve you of the duty of paying attention to your uh, your party grassroots. And again, he's heard a lot of that during this, this campaign. A lot of people in the party or have the sense that the grassroots weren't listened to. Um, so that'll be an important um, check mark, I guess, if you will, that people in the party will be looking to a new leader uh, to see how they deal with that. Janet, I want to thank you for joining us. Well, thank you very much. I want to thank Janet Ecker for joining us on the Unpublished Cafe and pulling back the curtain a bit on the current situation with the Ontario PCs. As you can hear, she is optimistic the party will come together after the leadership race and focus on the upcoming election. I mentioned the big blue tent and how, in a perfect political world, supporters of all stripes would come together. But there are those in the grassroots of the party who feel abandoned or betrayed. The animosity toward the leader and the executive has fueled a burgeoning movement that has seen several new parties emerge for the upcoming vote. In one case, a staunch conservative is calling on other like-minded supporters to sit out this election. The movement is called Hashtag I'm Out, and it was started by Ottawa man Carlos Naldino who joins us in the Unpublished Cafe podcast. Also joining us around the table, Jay Tissick, the interim leader of the fledgling Ontario Alliance Party, and I'm pleased to have join us as well, Jack McLaren, MPP with the Trillium Party, the first sitting member of that party in the Ontario legislature. And I thank you all for coming in this afternoon. Well, I guess, Carlos, we'll start with you first. What, from your perspective, is the state of the conservative movement in Ontario? Uh, uncertain. It's There's a lot of uncertainty. Uh, hopefully the new leadership will s- hopefully stabilize it. But right now, uncertainty would be the, the word to describe it. How about you, Jack? Personally, I have no hope for um, any of those kind of values from any of the parties that are right there right now. I think the party system of politics that we have in Ontario has proven itself to have failed. I was with the PC party for six years in that caucus, in that party. And there was no freedom at all for an individual MPP. I was told what to say. I was told how to vote. I was told to be loyal to the party and be a good boy and not cause any trouble. So the idea that we would actually speak and vote on behalf of our constituents, that we would answer to our constituents and seek, seek out ideas and opinions for policy making, which would be grassroots policy, all of that is what democracy is supposed to be. And the parties are the exact opposite. It's top-down control. And I have no faith in any of them to do to execute what I call democracy, respecting the people of Ontario. At the Trillium Party, we do. Right. We have that freedom. And I have voted seven times alone where I stood alone in the House and voted either for or against a bill because I thought it was the right thing to do on behalf of my constituents. Now, when Patrick Brown took over, were you still being dictated as to what you could say or do? Patrick was worse than... Hudak was. It was there was more whip votes, less freedom, less tolerance, and it just became unbearable. And I was forced to, if I wanted to get along with the party, vote for things that I disagreed with. And I have to say that there's a couple of things I did and voted for that I'm not very proud of. But I don't have to do that anymore, and I feel very good about where I am, and I'm a free man. All right. Now, uh, Jay Tissick uh, with the Ontario Alliance, the the interim leader, you, uh, you still will have a leadership afterwards, will you Will you not? Oh, yeah, definitely. All right. Yeah. What's the, from, from your perspective, what is the state of the conservative movement in Ontario? I think it's strong and focused. I, I wouldn't call it the conservative movement anymore. I think that uh, left and right dichotomy has uh, been proven false. I think that's a lot of... Uh, partisanship that just people don't really want to ascribe to anymore. I think now 
it's become a little bit more nationalist versus globalist, you know, and I think the populist movement is strong. It's focused. It's growing. And I expect big things coming out of it. We've seen already with Brexit, with Trump. And I think this is going to be a continuation in Ontario. Now, Carlos, uh, in your in your mind, what's led to the, the, the splintering of, of, you know, basically the big blue tent? Well, uh, part of the problem was that Brown got elected uh, as leader by catering to social conservatives when he then basically betrayed them. Uh, I'm not a social conservative, but if you run on a social conservative platform, you have to then at least be somewhat social conservative. You can't flip the day after and then flip back and flip back again over and over again. And if you do stuff like that and then you start rigging nominations and you start uh, filling the party with uh, corruption, it's going to splinter the party. I mean, the whole point of replacing Kathleen Wynne is to replace it with a non-corrupt government. If you're, on, if you're replacing it with another government that's just as corrupt, why would you do it? Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, Jack, uh, from the, you know, obviously we know why you splintered up <laughs> from the, uh, the conservatives. But did you see this coming down the pipe? It was not a snap decision for me at all. It had been coming for uh, a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, as I mentioned earlier, after the 2014 election, I was so discouraged with the performance of the PC party that I thought that party was done, unsalvageable. It was time for a new party at that time. And my only regret today is that we didn't start a new party at that point in time. We could have started sooner. We would have served the people of Ontario sooner. And by listening to the people of Ontario, and I'm telling you, we're getting an awful lot of exciting, interested phone calls on who is Trillium, what do you stand for, good for you, you know, you're, you are a voice, you do stand alone in the House. There's a hunger for that, for true democracy. All you have to do is look at how many people even vote. Yeah. Only 50% of the people who can vote do vote in a provincial election. 50% don't even care or they're discouraged, is probably more to the point, by parties that have showed no character, no integrity, and that covers all three of them. We do. And we, we're standing up here alone. Um, well, there's others, I should mm-hmm. say. <laughs> yeah. But at Trillium, we are standing for freedom, for democracy, and for the people of Ontario. Jay, let's let's talk about the Ontario Alliance for a second here, and and obviously one of the fledgling parties, along with well, there's Ontario Blue, Take Back Our PC Party, and there's a few others out there as well. Well, Take Back Our PC isn't a party. Well, it's it's a movement. We yeah. call it a movement. Yeah. Um, in, in terms of the Ontario Alliance, maybe fill the people in on on what you folks stand for. Excuse me. <clears throat> yeah, that's an interesting question. Uh, in the sense that we're we're I guess not traditional for the conservative uh, movement in the sense that in Ontario, that's taken a different meaning. And and as I think Jack was saying, and Carlos, there's kind of very little distinction right now between actually any of the three main parties at Queen's Park. They all want the same thing, just have a little bit of argument about how they get there. But we're going to a more traditional conservative mind, which would also be a classical liberal mindset. And it's no good. Actually, I'm going to step aside. What defines us best, I think, is values, because democracy in itself, while a very important thing and a good environment in itself is not a value. It's, it's really nothing. It's an environment. Right. And democracy will reflect and amplify whatever you inject into it. So we've seen and you could hand democracy to children. They're going to give you back anarchy and eventually communism. You know, that's just mm-hmm. a reality. And we've seen what the, the three main parties have done with democracy. So what has made our democracy so successful, and it has been, it's the most successful system we've seen on the face of the planet in all of history. What made it successful was not the fact that it was a democracy, but the values that we, the people, injected into it. And now there's an attack on those values by the existing government and by the other parties. And you're not going to restore what we had by ignoring or attacking those values. If we want to restore the province, we have to restore the, the values on which it was built. And that's the difference, I think, between our party and others. But values are, are subjective. You know, what you might say are values to you are going to be different than mine or maybe Jack's. Right. Right. So you're but just generally one we have a ahead. certain underlying value system that we can all agree to and share. I mean, there's certain notions of how we conduct ourselves and how we interact with each other. There's a social contract contract that exists. I mean, in our homes, say, feel mm-hmm. what we want. When we step outside, now we're interacting with others. And there's a bit of give and take on all sides. And we have to maintain kind of the system and the value of the overall system, not just what we want as individuals. And I think we've made a move to this 
overemphasis on, and believe me, individual rights are the most important thing. There are no rights mm-hmm. but individual rights. But making the, the individual the only thing that's important has created kind of a generation of, I'm going to say it, selfish and narcissistic people who think it's all about them and what matters to them. And there's no reflection on what others feel and think. So you're right. We have to take into account that everyone's different. Everyone's got different values. But we all have to agree to work within one unified kind of idea of how we interact. I mean, right. you can't have communists running down the streets hitting people with sticks. We've got that right now. <laughs> like, let's be honest. That's not yeah. acceptable in our society. Yeah. Okay. Now, Carlos, uh, with uh, I'm Out, what did you hope to accomplish? Well, our hope was uh, if we... We, I mean, we could never have hoped to have Brown, Dykstra, and Stanley removed, but our hope was that we would cause enough trouble that we would cause a minority. And with liberal minority, the, Brown would not have survived and the party would have been taken back. CTV kind of <laughs> stole our thunder, so we don't have to do any of that. So we had a lot of work done that we now it's, it's all going to be thrown out. And because, I mean... The majority of the corruption is gone, but there's still a lot of corruption. The entire executive has to be replaced. Uh, there's candidates that need to be replaced. There are people involved with the party that need to be replaced. But at least we're moving towards a good direction, maybe. We'll see what happens after the leadership race. How many uh, how many supporters would you say are lining up behind you? We had lots of support from people who contacted us. But uh, we what we were going to run was a different type of campaign where we had people who were going to help. Uh, but... We wanted to keep it really small. There was already take back our PC party, mm-hmm. who is a larger, more of a large number lobbying group. What we were going to do was more uh, surgical strikes against certain candidates to make them lose. And for that, we wanted a small group of our core conserv- our core members. Uh, we had other people who would help, but they weren't going to be uh, the main people. So, uh, in terms of obviously, we've got a, a leadership race on right now. Would you? you are, from I'm Out's perspective, is there any of those four that uh, you'll support? I'm now supporting Ford, uh, but that's only because I've come to the conclusion. I, w- I started off as an Elliott supporter, mm-hmm. but I, I came to the conclusion that she would not take the corruption seriously. And as time progressed, uh, last Wednesday when I was on CBC, I announced that I believe that there is a deal. And I, I'm of that opinion. And... I can't support her if she's uh, having a deal with uh, Brown. You know, Jack, I wonder how much the executive has to wear some of the, you know, the, the egg on the face from, from the way the PC party is right now. Well, the PC party has all kinds of troubles, um, which uh, everybody knows all about because they're in the media every day. And uh, none of it's good news, except for those of us that aren't not in the PC party. So let's talk about some of the good news. So, um, What's happening here in the media lately um, is we're getting a great exposure to a party that is self-destructing. We've had 15 years of exposure to a party that has disappointed everybody and cost Ontarians a fortune and a third party that just doesn't seem to be attracting much attention at all. So people are saying, who do I vote for? There doesn't seem to be a bright light mm-hmm. for change. You know? right. And I would say that's what we're talking about here is some new ideas – character, integrity, recognizing that the family is the basic unit of our, of our communities and our society, I would say, should be the job of government. Families often would have a faith. Yet you took the PC party that would take, looked at the social conservatives and would say in caucus, we want nothing to do with social conservatives. They're not going to cost us any seats. Wrong, wrong, wrong. So these are good people with great values, and I've been an MPP for six and a half years. Mm. There's many new Canadians in my riding. As I meet these different peoples from different lands with different religions, the one thing that has really impressed me, Ed, is the most important thing every time is family. When they go home to their home, Mm -hmm. their wife is there, their children are there, their extended family that is why they work. That's why we all exist. That's why we. That's government is supposed to be there to help us as people, as a community, as society, to have the freedom to live and work and play with our families in our communities the way we want. All right. Now, uh, Jay, in terms of the the Ontario Alliance, let's talk about some of your policy here. We can talk about a lot of policy. 
I'll address something so, that Jack said when he said the right, government we'll jump in first and then is we'll there talk to help. That. Um, that to me is, I think Reagan said, the the most frightening words in the English language. I'm from the government and I'm here to help. Um, we, we have no interest in running a government that feels its job is to help citizens. Uh, our job is to create an environment where they can help themselves, you know, is just to lay the groundwork, the infrastructure where they can go pursue whatever endeavor mm-hmm. they're interested in pursuing and be as successful as they can be at it. We don't want to place any roadblocks. We don't want to place any hindrance. But I think um, trying to help everyone, you're going to create a hindrance because the amount of money you're going to need to collect in taxes, which we've seen with the liberal government, um, you just you hinder those who are actually trying to succeed by making it impossible for them to actually reap any benefit from their efforts. Just it's getting sucked up by taxes, trying to help everyone. Government needs to stay out of the way. And that, that's part of our policy is really we want to right size government for a start. We want to focus on core legitimate uh, kind of activities of government. We want to focus on providing an infrastructure that works and that isn't crumbling like we've seen. I think the biggest complaint yeah, yeah right there you go you know like i mean we have uh, we want to get an education system that works this one does not it's failing i mean you look at the fraser reports uh ontario more than half of the kids couldn't pass the math test you know what i mean mm-hmm. and we're, we're lowest in the country why is this i mean it's a government that's trying to overreach and do too much and take too much responsibility away from citizens we've got the the ministry of education which has decided that no matter what comes in one end, everything has to come out the same on the other across the entire province. Problem is, people aren't the same. You can't take a kid who's here and a kid who's here, put them in the same system and expect yeah. them to come out. You can't raise this kid up, so what you're going to have to do is push the other one down. And that's what they're doing. They're, they're suppressing people's natural inclinations to try and make this sameness out the other end. That's not how this world works. I mean, there's free market solutions to education, which we're exploring, that can really cater to people and let everyone succeed. You know, not just bring everyone out at the lowest common denominator. Uh, carbon tax. I mean, if we want to create an environment where people can succeed, carbon tax doesn't do it. We have to get rid of that. Like, gone. There will be no support for that. We will oppose Justin Trudeau, absolutely, if he tries to impose one. And we actually have a very good legal leg to stand on in doing so. Um, the carbon tax will put aside the debate about global warming and all those issues. The real question is, would a carbon tax even solve it? And it doesn't. I mean, it mm. does nothing effectively. Uh, Canadian manufacturers, particularly Ontarians, are some of the cleanest in the world. They've invested heavily in clean technology to punish Ontario residents and Ontario manufacturers to further price them out of the market isn't going to solve the problem because people still need the things they need to live. They're just going to buy them from overseas where these people don't have the same kind of standards environmentally we do. So it's going to increase overseas manufacturing to make up for the loss in Ontario. That exacerbates the problem if you believe that is a problem. So Their solutions are not actually solutions to the problem. They've even stated that's an issue with government. And so we're going to get in there. No carbon Mm -hmm. tax, fix education, hydro rates. That's a big one we need to do away with. I mean, most of that bill, our hydro is actually very inexpensive, but the cost to the people using it is insane because of all these delivery charges, debt retirement, global adjustment. And sadly, a lot of people, when you talk about these issues, they don't really understand what those things are and where they come from. And um, the root causes are what need to be addressed, not temporary relief like Brown was offering and, and Wynn's offering where they're mm. borrowing. It's a Band-Aid solution to buy votes with your own money, which you'll pay double for down the road. We're going to actually remove the sources of those extra fees, get them gone day one, and put hydro back to the real cost. Yeah, These you, are some of our policies. Okay. Now, uh, Carlos, <laughs> the, the one thing... I. You know, we've talked about the you know the issue with the leadership and the the issue with the executive. And let's face it, it's been what twenty years since the PCs won an election in Ontario. Is the desperation for power uh, maybe blinding them to to you know the direction they need to be going, as opposed to just it's my way or the highway? We have to do this, and if you don't like it, too bad. This is about the party, and we got to get in power. Well, I mean, if they're desperate for power, this isn't the way to get it. So that would be, I, I mean, desperation doesn't explain it. Uh, I would say greed does. I mean, the simple fact is that there's a lot of unexplained situations right now, uh, especially with Patrick Brown. Mm. Uh, there's unexplained sources of income. There's unexplained uh, funds. There's stuff that looks like uh, money laundering. Uh, I've reported Patrick to Fintrack. Uh, there's a lot at stake, and I don't think desperation – to get a conservative government was what was motivating all of this. No? No, I think it was desperation to get something else. But what that is, we don't know. But you look back at, at Tim Hudak and, and, and 
when the writ was dropped for that last election, they, they, you know, he was just ahead of her and then just tailed off as soon as he opened his mouth. Well, I mean, I've only met Hudak once and he, I mean, listening to him on the radio and, uh, he's pretty good. He's pretty good. Yeah. He's great. But the one time I met him, he was, uh, not very good. Really? Yeah. And so, uh, I don't know how he lost that. Uh, it's pretty impressive to lose that much of a lead, but he somehow did it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was a bit of an adventure. I know that. That's for sure. Now, uh, Jack, perhaps uh, you can uh, f- fill in uh, a bit on the uh, the Trillium Party policy here. Well, basically, we think the the reason I left the PC party and the problem with the other parties is I don't believe they're listening to the people of Ontario which is grassroots politics, grassroots policy. and Because if they did, they would know what to do to make Ontario a healthy, prosperous place. So at Trillium Party, what we say, we're neither left nor right, conservative nor liberal. We're listening to the people of Ontario. We're here, we are here to help people who need our help. Now, those of us who have our health and our wealth can look after ourselves. We need government to do little other than taxes a little, not too much. <laughs> but there are those in our communities who cannot help themselves. And there's three main groups who would fall into that category. I would say families with autism, families with mental health troubles, and struggling seniors. Those people cannot help themselves. And as a caring society, we have a moral obligation to help those who cannot help themselves. That is the job of government. That we will do. It costs money. Mm-hmm. So how do we get the money to do the job that government must do? We look to small business and we focus on what do we have to do to help small business thrive and prosper, to make money so they can pay a little bit more tax, not a higher rate, hopefully a lower rate. <laughs> that would be an incentive. Mm-hmm. And that they could hire people because now they're doing more work, which would create jobs who all could pay a little bit of taxes. So we want to keep taxation rates low, which is an incentive to small business and to workers and to families. Um, hydro rates are too high. Um, we have 360,000 regulations approximately in the province of Ontario, which just smoke, choke small business. Big business doesn't seem to mind it so much. They, they know that puts the little guys out of business, so that gets the low-cost producers out of the way, and the big guys can carry on. But small business creates 75 to 80% of the jobs in the private sector in Ontario, and I would say in Canada and probably the Western world. So we need to focus on where the money is, and the money is in a healthy small in, small business and whatever whatever businesses we're in, um, and we need to do whatever we can to make things better for them. And for the most part, that would mean, as Maxime Bernier said one time, getting out of the way. All right. Well, Maxime Bernier, yeah, there's a <laughs> name from the past. All right, now uh, let's uh, let's get back to uh, Jay here, and you know when uh, when you think back, and, and you're basically a dyed in world dyed in the wool conservative, right? Me? Yeah, I'm a dyed in the wool supporter? populist. No, actually, I wasn't. Uh, I got into this nomination for a very specific. I've, I've been a supporter of the federal conservatives since 2010, mm-hmm. and uh, I only took out a PC membership uh, in 2016. Why'd you do that? Because uh, I really thought what they were doing was wrong, and I wanted to get it in there and fix it. <coughs> and that's where you came into your your running with Patrick Brown in Stittsville. Yeah. Well, no, it was before that. I uh, oh. when yeah, no, I I ran for the nomination. Actually, I was supporting someone else. I had a problem with the candidate there. I grew up in in Carleton and uh, lots of friends and and family, and uh, they have businesses and stuff. I didn't like what that candidate that was being foisted on those people was about. I'd done some research, so uh, I originally was backing Doug Thompson. Thought he was a good viable alternative. I, I knew him from City Hall for years. Thought great guy. What a mm-hmm. good constituency guy. So I was helping him, and and he was the first to bring to light the cheating that was going on. And he understandably backed out and just said, "At this point in my career, I don't need this. I mean, the guy's got thirty years of public yeah. service. He went. What, why? Why do I need this?" And uh, I I was like, "But I still see the problem, Doug. I mean, this person is horrible." And it's what I think Carlos was talking about, where they're introducing no difference. Like and, and that would be my argument about the Conservative Party for the longest time. We can blame the liberals for what they've done, but they actually said that this is what we're going to do, and then they did it. Shame on us for not realizing, but shame on the PC party for not being the opposition. 14 years of opposition, and what did they oppose? 
I mean, it's gone ahead as if there was like they were cheerleaders, not opposition. So and then you got Patrick Brown, who took it even further, where he was whipping his caucus to support and Jack can speak to that. He was whipping his caucus to support liberal motions that really had no conservative values in them. Right. And this has been my problem and why I never really got involved in party politics, because they get into a camp and then they just start to tribalize and they don't actually look at real solutions and stuff. I think John A. said it best when he said, um, you know, politics, there was no values on which the parties were divided. Politics merely became a struggle for office. And that's what you see going on in these main parties. And that's why, you know, we had to do something different. If we're going to make change, you have to do something different. Uh, the nomination, uh, the number of the nomination uh, meetings and, and events have been questioned, and I, I know we are going to get a couple more. Do you think that's going to clear up some of the uh, the problems, at least in those those three ridings? Well, I mean, we got two that overturned, mm. but they didn't and have— one in front of one going to court. <laughs> uh, well, the, one, the one's going to court— uh, uh, that's the Hamilton one. Yeah. Uh, that's not going to court anymore. It's a criminal investigation. Yeah. But uh, both uh, both civil litigations uh, have stopped. And uh, we've now found out that the reason they stopped is because the PC party refunded uh, not only the costs, but also the money that one of the candidates paid uh, one of Patrick Brown's friends to rig the nomination, which <laughs> is ridiculous. We're refunding money that we pay – that people paid for rigging nominations. This was a story uh, that broke in the Globe and Mail. And it's – Absurd. Not to interrupt you, but that's it, it's kind of fair. If you pay for a service and don't get the service, you should get your money get back. The <laughs> <laughs> Never thought of it that way. Well, I mean, that's fairness, right? It should have come from Patrick or his crony, though. Well, anyway, I didn't yeah. mean to interrupt. Well, no. I mean, the fact that there was uh, one candidate was paying one of Patrick Brown's friends to rig the nomination while Patrick was trying to rig the nomination for, for a third candidate. And then we had one candidate who was running legitimately. That's a really strange place for a party to be in. Uh, and it sends a really bad message. And I mean, of the stuff I know that hasn't even hit the media yet, we haven't, we've seen the tip of the iceberg. Mm. Just start talking. (laughs) (laughs) What else haven't we heard? I'm not going to get into it, but if you wanted to look, you might ask why Ottawa South's uh, entire board was required to sign non-disclosures and why an unusual amount of money traveled through Ottawa South. Really? Yep. Wow, that's interesting. All right, Ottawa South, I will have to keep an eye on that. Oh, my goodness. Lots of people right. making notes right now just on what you said. Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. <laughs> no, okay, we, you know, we, we started to talk about uh, the conservative movement in Ontario or conservatism in Ontario, however you want to look at it. And, you know, you, we, let's just take a look at the, the four leadership uh, candidates right now. And, uh, Carlos, you already mentioned who, who you, you think or you support. Yeah, I was uh, Elliot to start with. I mm-hmm. came forward. I was fine with either one. Uh, but, I mean, Elliot, you can't support her now. Really? Just because of you think well, there's something? Let's look at it this way. We had uh, all of the endorsements that were originally uh, Mulroney endorsements, became Brown endorsements, became all Elliot endorsements. Then we have Brown's sketchy uh, ground crew who bring no value, but they're now all working for Elliot. We even have Tamara McGregor's fake Twitter account supporting Elliot now. Like, it's... I mean, if there isn't a deal, then Elliot should really change her staff because they've allowed the perception that a deal exists to flourish by allowing these people to all go work for Elliot. Oh, okay. Now, Jack, I know you don't have to answer to anybody, but from what you've seen right now, or maybe, you know, obviously in the uh, the corridors, who do you think's got the best chance to win the leadership? I don't think it matters. They're not going to win. So... Um, the, the PC party has spoiled themselves so badly. The integrity of the party is stained, damaged, beyond repair. I, I don't think there's any leader that can salvage that party and go to victory. I will tell you, and a lot of that is because of lack of values, lack of integrity, and lack of character. So I think that's what people are looking for. I'm going to tell you a little story that we chatted about a little earlier before sure. your show started. So about a week and a half ago, I was uh, debating a private member's bill that was – the idea was to lower the price of electricity in Ontario. So during that speech I was making, uh, mainly I wasn't speaking to the technicalities on lowering the price of electricity, which it's not that hard to do. There's, you, know, you just undo everything the liberals did and it would be cheaper. But I talked about P- MPPs at Queen's Park not doing their job, uh, not holding the government's feet to the fire 
and liberal MPPs not doing their job and letting costs go wild, and, and Ontarians are suffering. So, I, and there was a, a law was passed in two thousand and four by this government. It was an amendment to the Electricity Act that called for the Ontario Power Authority to create a plan every year on how much money they were going to spend on the production of electricity and the distribution of electricity and submit that plan to the government for review and approval if it, if it was a, a feasible, sensible plan. Every year, the Auditor General in 2017 says, you have not made a plan in any year for the last 10 years. So for 10 years in a row, you have broken the law, your own law that you made. So during my speech, I said, the government has broken the law. Three times. And the third time the speaker said to me, withdraw. And I said, it's true. And she says, withdraw. And I said, I cannot withdraw the truth. And she says, you're named, which means you have to leave the house because you're being marched out. Mm. So we put this up on Facebook. And here, here's the, the story. And this, this kind of speaks to integrity and, and in the house, getting kicked out of the house for telling the truth. Imagine. So on Facebook, we put that little clip up. As of today, which is uh, uh, nine days later, we are at 800,000 views. Yesterday, today would be even higher. 800,000 views on Facebook. Can you imagine? That's pretty startling. Over a little thing like getting kicked out of the house during a private member's bill. Most people don't think that's really exciting For stuff. For telling the truth. For telling the truth. Yeah. So I think that says volumes about why wouldn't people be so interested in a little thing. It's because the truth is not being tolerated at Queen's Park in the legislature. Now, Jay, what about you? Any predictions on the leadership for the PCs? Uh, not who you want, just from what you've seen. It doesn't matter who you'd want, I guess. Yeah, no, what does that matter? But I'm um, kind of curious. I'm in a different party. Actually, I was asked to support some of the leadership candidates. And I went, oh, really? Are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah. That's just absolutely absurd, you know? I said, I'll support them as much as they'll support me. How about that? But... Um, no, I, I know several of them personally and have for years, and I like them. I, I have a lot of respect for uh, a couple of them, and, and particularly Tanya and Doug I've known, and they're very intelligent, very hardworking. I, I don't know Carolyn and uh, Elliot very well, but um, I like them. Um, I think I'm going to echo the sentiments of these guys. What does it really matter? I mean, yeah. if you have a corporate culture, which the PC party has, of corruption and silencing the truth, and you know, and I point to what Jack, the story Jack just told. He's like, I made this statement <laughs> For 10 years, the government's been breaking the law. Well, it's great. What did you say the last 10 years that it happened? You know, and it wasn't your fault, Jack. It's the PC party wouldn't let you address the truth. Um, that's the corporate culture they've bred. So you can bring in a guy like Doug or a woman like Tanya or who knows, uh, Christine Elliott and Carolyn. But if the corporate culture there won't allow them to address the issues, then then what does it matter who the leader is? And I've I made that statement before about Vic Fidelli. I said he's a great guy and he's taken a couple of the right first steps. But let's see how far he's allowed to go with cleaning up the corruption. I mean, it's one thing. It's not really integrity to address the issues that you can no longer hide, which, I mean, I I was very active in exposing a lot of that corruption right from the beginning. I'm glad that they finally came to terms with that it's there. And they said, okay, now that we've been caught, we'll clean it up. But what about all the stuff that hasn't been exposed in the media yet? They're not going after that. And I think if Vic tried to or any of those leaders tried to, they'd find opposition within their own party. So if a, if a culture is corrupt, then what does it matter who's leading it? Carlos, so I wonder, uh, the, is this issue or the party having problem dealing with the urban, the urban rural divide? No, I mean, that's, that is a separate issue. That no? issue, there is, uh, there is an issue that the party uh, being as big tent as it's trying to be does create the fact that you have two groups that, have very little overlap. But, I mean, we're beyond that. We're to the point where the party is just corrupt. Uh, and I agree with uh, Jay that Vic Fidelli has done a wonderful job. But you look at uh, the fact that they originally considered doing uh, a dozen nominations and they didn't have the stomach to do that. And so they went for three. And of the three, they only overturned two of which – the one that they chose not to overturn was actually one of the worst ones as well. But they chose not to do it because they evaluated that uh, the woman uh, who was being reviewed, her and her husband, uh, are would, would make trouble. And they felt that there wasn't enough uh, people on the other side of it who would make trouble. 
And they just made the calculus that it was easier to let uh, Cherry McGrath keep uh, her rig nomination than it was to overturn it. So they overturned the two that they realized were going to, if they didn't overturn it, would, would cause a lot of problems. But they didn't even have the stomach to overturn the third one. And they didn't even consider the other ones that they were originally thinking about doing. So, I mean, they're pretty timid. All right. Well, I think our time has come uh, come full circle here, but it's been a, an interesting discussion around the conservative movement in Ontario. Indeed, strange times politically for the Ontario PCs who select a leader on March 10th, and then they have to put the knives away and jump headlong into the Ontario election. And I want to thank our guest today on the unpublished Ottawa podcast, Carleton, Mississippi Mills MPP from the Trillium Party, Jack McLaren. Jay Tissick is the interim leader of the new Ontario Alliance Party, and Carlos Naldino is the man behind the I'm Out movement, calling on Conservatives to sit out this election. Ontarians will head to the polls on June 7th, and I want to thank you for joining us on the unpublished Ottawa podcast, I'm Ed Hand.